And welcome to the Let's Talk Transformation podcasts. In this episode, we will be talking about leadership and the power of storytelling and acknowledgement. I'm delighted to welcome Kylie Stone, founder of the Performance Code, leadership expert, LinkedIn Top 20 voice, and also the host of the Uncharted Leaders podcast. Kylie, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Susie. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Your mission is a quest we both share, which is to disrupt the status quo on I'd like to say traditional <laughs> views of leadership and to help people um, discover their potential and lead their lives differently, which for me comes down to connection, human connection. And in this world, technology enables us to connect more than ever. This is a prime example. <laughs> We're clearly not in the same country, but it doesn't necessarily guarantee human connection, does it? So I would love it if you could start with telling us your story and why you set up the performance code and also why the Uncharted Leaders podcast? Yeah, I think I'll go straight back to the moment where I, I think the, the turning point for me was around my, my own personal journey um, mm. with, lead, with leadership. And it was the moment where for the first time in, in my life I was challenged with this question of not knowing how to just stuck. How, how do I get beyond this current current challenge? Mm. And the challenge was um, I was in a senior leadership position at the time. I was it was two thousand and ten, mm-hmm. so it's what twelve years ago. <laughs> Already, and, um, yeah, God, it flies. And uh, I yeah, so I was the marketing and strategy director at News Corp at the time, and. I had just had my third child. <laughs> so I 2007 I had my first child. A year later fell pregnant again, had my second child. And on both occasions Susie, I had a remarkable return mm. to work. I I mm. really I loved my job, I loved my team. I had um you know, I I would be lying if I said the actual having children was the easy part, was the hard part. <laughs> <laughs> but that's a lot of change, isn't it? That's a lot of change uh, in a yeah. very short space of time. <laughs> it was. And I think, you know, my return to work with my first child was very very straightforward. I went mm. back to work actually after a few months. He was a great sleeper, so after a few months I found myself really ready to kind of balance part-time with going Mm. back to work. And and then the same thing happened with my daughter, my second child. I went back a bit bit later. But so I really had two rounds of maternity leave over over in that space of two years, which is a pretty tight time frame. Yeah, absolutely. yeah, but at that time, you know, I, I was very well supported back in my job. I had a great team. Mm. I, I actually got one of the, the biggest pay rises and, and one of the best promotions I've had in my career whilst I'd been on maternity leave. So I really, for my, my, my own personal experience mm. at that time was really remarkable. And that um, support is so important though, isn't it, Kylie, when you go back? I, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I had a great team and, Mm -hmm. you know, there was a number of different factors that I'd say all all had that work. And then um, in 2010, I fell pregnant with my third child, uh, my son. I went back into the, I I remember walking back into the office wanting to go back to work part-time. I think for the most part, I was pretty desperate to just go somewhere and have a hot hot cup of coffee and, you know, um, have a decent conversation instead of dealing with three kids under three and a half, you know. But, But I remember walking back into the office to have a conversation with my boss about negotiating my arrangement and, and I really wanted to go back into my job mm. uh, on a part-time basis because I just I'd spent three 
it was probably five years all up working on this big project to get across the line, a major rebrand in the company. And when I'd left just before my last child, I'd actually developed the implementation plan. So it was all, all it was kind of on its way in implementation. Mm-hmm. So when I came back in, I was really, I really wanted to get back into that project. And, um, but my boss wanted me full time in that role. And I really mm-hmm. could not see. I was like, I can't see how to make this work. Mm-hmm. I, I feared. I feared not only my own well-being, but my the well-being of my family. And I also didn't want to look back on my life and have regrets. Yeah, you know, I, I just thought, God, I, if I look back and think, you know, was it all worth it to really sacrifice mm. these early days with my kids? And I and I didn't want to do that. So. We did split my role. Um, I took all the strategy kind of back office stuff, but then my my operational role was taken by a person who was doing my maternity leave. And, and that was all great because I could do that part-time. But the only problem was within a matter of maybe three to six months, it was roughly between that time, I was bored. Yeah. I just, mm-hmm. I was like, hold on, I have not spent 20 years of my career to work hard to get to this point, to get, you know, to get into the sitting in the in the executive team, you know, building the business, creating growth, running a team, being accountable, all of those things, suddenly all those parts of the job, which comes with leadership, yeah. were no longer there. Be- so, because you were part-time or because your yeah. job scope had changed or? No, because I was part-time and he wanted someone in the, bo- in the job full-time. And back in those days, there was no such thing as flex work for anyone in mm. a senior position. Mm. So I just, I thought to myself, I remember sitting outside the office where the boardroom was actually <laughs> one day and everyone else was walking the meeting and I just felt like this, you know, there's an episode of Parting Dirty, Dirty Dancing where, um, <laughs> you know, ba- baby houseman sitting in the corner. And, in the corner, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, and I had one of those moments. I just thought, you know, this is not what, what I imagined, envisioned mm. for myself as a leader. Mm. And um, so I, I went on a pathway after that. It's right, that's it. I need to do something about this. And so I, I did what I traditionally do, which I've sent learned some valuable lessons. But even despite having the three kids, I went back to university. I was like, I'm oh, going to wow. have to arm my, myself with the next level of credentials, right? I'll go back and I'll do an MBA. That, that'll help me with able to get the next level up, right? I did that. I got myself a coach. I signed up with this. I decided I was going to take take on transformation and change as my next gig. So I signed up for this. This is a small project. That's right. Yep. That's right. I signed up for the, uh, I became a member of the Change Management Institute, got myself a mentor. And I reckon I must have had about six or seven books on my bedside table on everything from, you know, Google search inside yourself, how to rework your life. What's the great work your life? What's your life purpose? Sheryl Sandberg's lean in. I mean, you name it. I was really throwing myself into everything I possibly could to try to work out what is, how do I fulfill on this thing called fulfilling my, you know, my passion for wanting to be a contribution, Mm. build businesses as a leader, but not be stripped of it just because I was in part-time. So that that was the moment that it all happened for me. And of course, I, I ended up going on a discovery where, um, in fact, one of the books that made a big difference was there's a book by Robin Sharma called How to Lead Without a Title. Mm. And um, it was a very similar story to my own where, 
you know, here I was, I'd gone down this traditional path of what looked like how you get to be a leader. You know, you work hard, you get a promotion, mm. you work longer, you work harder, you get mm. a little pay rise, you work, you know, until you, eventually you get climb to climb a, a vertical ladder, yeah. That's <laughs> right. Yeah, that's right. Mm. But, uh, you know, the only problem with that, obviously, is in a hierarchy, you've got lots of roles at the bottom and very few at the top. Yeah. So even when you do get to that point, you're not always guaranteed if it happens. I mean, I happen to be blessed because I did get that position, mm. but all of a sudden then it, it disappeared. And I was like, well, how do I now get to express myself given that it, that only happens in that in that team? So that that was literally what happened. And what I what I did discover was actually my experience of being a contribution, mm. my experience of all the things that I loved to do as a leader around building great brands, around, you know, leading a team and didn't come from that position. I, I started mentoring a group of other women, ironically, mm-hmm. while I was going through this journey because I bumped into a woman who was in a similar position at, at the coffee shop and she'd asked me how I was and I <laughs> I, I, I think she was shocked because I turned around and I said, I'm awful. She said, what do you mean? What do you mean? And I said, well, I'm damned if I'm, I'm, I'm really disappointed that, you know, it's, it suddenly it seems that like just because I can't do full time that my brain cells don't work and I cannot have a leadership position, you know, and mm. And, and she said it was the same for her. So she just asked me what I was doing and I told her and she says, oh, wow, that sounds really great. And I said, look, I'm happy to share what I've been doing. And that, that turned into multiple conversations yeah. and ended up with 55 women in this mentoring wow. group. But yeah. I think these these things never happen by accident, though, do they? That, that's my belief. Well, no. <laughs> No, that's right. And, mm. and ironically, you know, the storytelling thing, that's what opened that pathway because what I realised out of that journey, and I, I've been in the business of talk storytelling for, what, 20 years, mm. but it was always about the business of that and the communication and, you know, those things. But what I discovered in that mentoring was that there was a transformation occurring when I was willing to tell my own story to other women. And in their hearing my own story, they were really engaged in the opportunity for themselves. And so then they came on board and, you know, we had these circles and these, you know, you know get togethers. And, and honestly, it wasn't about educating any of us anymore. I mean, we have a bunch of very successful, you know, mm-hmm. women who'd been in 20 year career. It wasn't about coming in and teaching us something that we needed to know about leadership all we were doing was just telling stories. Out of the telling stories, some of us had probably the biggest breakthroughs or um, experiences of growth and success that we'd had in our experience of being Mm. a leader than we'd ever had in our own roles as leaders. So Mm. it just changed really the direction for me in that Mm. moment. And and I thought, wow, you know, and, and just from that point, Susie, honestly, it was just organic. You know, yeah. we were like, wow, this is, mm. you know, we should we should host an event. And then we hosted an event and we brought in storytellers. And at the end of the event, it, you know, we had a sellout. We had, I think it was 160-odd people at this event and mm. everyone just loved it. And they were like, oh, you've got to do more of this. And so and we did more of it. And, and and that's kind of how it evolved. And next minute I'm like, wow, this is, you know, who, who needs a damn title to express <laughs> oneself as a leader? Absolutely. Like, so, yeah. you know. Yeah. Absolutely. So that's kind of what yeah. got me on the journey. And, of course, what I realised in that process was that there was no set direction. There wasn't like there was a, an end in sight or there was a role or there was mm. a task where I got to work on something. That journey in and of itself 
really was nothing other than really pursuing what was what I, what I deemed to be very important to me, what I was passionate about, off my vision. You know, I just tainted this vision for myself about how I wanted to have an impact. I did some work around my core values. What are my what are my what are my strengths? In fact, mm. what do I what do I really want to do? And how does that look? And and then it became more about what I took out of my life than it did about what I put into my life. Mm. And by taking out all of these things that were no longer consistent with what I really wanted, I just found myself naturally making more of a difference. Mm. And I'm hearing three things like purpose, individual purpose, and your values, but also the storytelling on top of that. So how does that trilogy if you like purpose values and storytelling how has it helped you build your business and mm. how do you use it to help others build their businesses well firstly it it came through my coaching of others mm-hmm. because it was really what I was doing for myself to fulfill on the results that I wanted became of interest to those around me and mm-hmm. I got my the very I remember the very first First one, I had a woman who reached out to me who used to work in used to work in the media industry and and in, and in marketing and because my background's in marketing, you know she had was looking for a coach. She was actually looking for what's the next thing. She was thwarted in the role role she was in. Wanted to kind of look at what else was available for her. She looked at she just went looking for a coach and saw that my background was similar to her. But when she reached out to me, it was surprising because at that stage I didn't quite know where I was positioning myself. Okay. I didn't, I, I was like, okay. you know, I'd been, at, but what appealed to her is she saw that I was a coach. She saw that I was a direct, a marketing director. Mm. So I'd, I'd, I'd got experience in being in leadership. And she also then saw that I was started up this not-for-profit because I did, we did then register what we were doing with mentoring groups for women as a not-for-profit. We okay. went, let's just register it. Let's see what we can do with this. Mm-hmm. We'll keep doing what we're doing. And, and because of those three things, what that meant for her was she came to me because she saw me as a woman who was able to pursue what was important to her when it came to a leader and expressing myself and my confidence. Yeah. And she's like, at the end of the day, she was just looking for the same. You know, she was here mm. wanting to accelerate and grow as a leader and saw what I did was a demonstration of what she was looking for. Yeah. And that was as simple as what it was, Susie. Mm. And so, so that happened. And then it really was word of mouth. She got extraordinary results out of literally three conversations that we'd had, which was challenging us on the on the traditional way in which mm. we look at the way that we go about, you know, our career mm. um, and instead take a look at, what inherently is the thing that you truly want, you know, regardless of where you think you need to go? Because a lot of women will come to me and say, I want, this is the job I want. I want to get the next level of a promotion. And I go, okay, I, I understand that. Mm. I was like, and what is it about that that's of interest to you? Oh, well, you know, I think it's just the next thing. I want to express myself as a leader. And I, so then ask them actually what's really important. Mm. And when you ask them what's really important, it's not the title. It's no. never the title. And it's never, the, it's just the opportunity to make a real difference. So the two things I work on then is I say, okay, well, let's actually just reconnect with what's actually really important. And what, how you do that is you do the work on your own values because mm-hmm. the process to get to cl- get clarity on your values requires you to take a good look at your life. It takes mm-hmm. you to ha- look back at your past. What are the things that have gotten you to where you are? What, the journey that you've taken is never an accident. If you assume that it's not an accident, what are all the, the things that have caused the highs in your life? And mm. equally, what are all the things that you fight for? Because yeah. the things that we fight for, all the things that we 
you know, that we uh, fight against <laughs> sometimes, they they are the things that will give us the indicators of what our core values are. Mm. And this blows me away. And I did not know this until I did it, but it wasn't until I started doing this with women that I actually discovered, for the most part, there's a big complaint, in, especially in the corporate world, that companies don't align with my values. But then when you go to ask them, well, what are your core values? They're actually not clear. No, and I think they just stay in that sort of, I call that gray space, where they don't feel completely in sync with themselves, hence the work mask and the home mask. And I don't think in corporate, well, it's slightly changing, but in corporate cultures today, we don't encourage people to ask themselves what their values are necessarily. No, it's we always do. the work yeah. on the company values, yeah. and, and rightly so. And I and I went through this myself, mm. right? I, I valued, what I realised I valued was courage. I didn't quite know that that was the way to articulate it at the time, but I did, and it was only through conversations with others that that became really clear for me. Mm. But then where I could see it didn't align was I'd be in meetings and I wasn't courageous. I didn't speak up. I didn't, I did not say things in meetings where I was holding back. I, I mm. was sitting there doing exactly the same thing, complaining about how other people were not being responsible for the way that they were interacting with each other. But I wasn't saying anything. I was like, <laughs> oh my God, you know, no wonder why there's a disconnect there yeah. for me. You know, yeah. like I'm I'm not expressing my core value of being courageous mm. because I'm not in there saying things or not stepping up because I felt like that I was afraid that if I did that I would be ostracized or I would be the next to go when there was too much at risk in, mm. in losing my job mm. that I that I wouldn't do that. And I just wonder how many people stay in that place of fear for almost all their career because you know it's a box, isn't it? It's sort of a very rigid ladder. And what you're essentially doing is encouraging women to step out of the status quo if they don't feel that that fits with their value base. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And and the, the turning point was realising that whilst I was busy complaining about mm. what was happening in the company, about what was not there, what I had failed to realise was actually that was just because I didn't have access myself mm. for how to fulfil on the way, the things that I was truly that were truly important to me in a way that I, in a way that didn't undo my commitment, mm. you know, just thwarted by fear and not knowing that that fear was actually present. And so mm. acknowledging that there was fear there. I mean, I think I wanted to come to the subject of acknowledgement because you talk about it a lot and I would love you to give us your take on acknowledgement and which lever it is and how powerful it can be. Yeah. Well, that was probably a very good example, right? Because. Mm. Acknowledgement, firstly, for me is, you know, it's the first step for me in a series of practices mm. to dismantle the lack of freedom, let's say, or the constraint that we have to express ourselves naturally. Mm. And why why it's been so powerful is because when we actually do the looking for ourselves and we acknowledge what's going on, like it's a bit like I think if I was to dumb it down for myself, which is what I often do to make it easier, mm -hmm. is say to myself, well, what if, what is there, what's really going on, Kylie? Mm -hmm. You know, really, if you really tell the truth to yourself, what's going on? Like mm -hmm. you go to work, you show up, and, and in those days for me, what was going on is I'd, get, I'd show up pretending I was happy and happy to do this job and, and, and thwart it and, you know, all, all good, you know, all good. And yet I, I was pissed. I was complaining. I was, you know, all a whole world of stuff, right? 
So in that moment for me, the shift came immediately after just stepping back and telling the truth to myself. Mm. It wasn't necessarily that I needed to go tell the truth to the world. All that mattered was I needed to tell the truth to myself. And when I told, and the truth to myself was at that time, I was like, oh God, you're the one complaining and not saying anything. (laughs) Oh, how? Okay. Mm. So what is there that you can do for yourself? You know, because nothing's going to change out there. Mm. You know, it's only your reaction to what's out there that's going to shift anything. So therefore, if all the power exists over here for you to do something, acknowledgement gives me the ability to say, okay, I have everything I need in my own sphere of control, you know, to be able to impact and do and say what there is to do. Now, Mm. I might make the decision to do something. I might make the decision not to do something. Whether I do or not is not the point. But what there is, is recognizing that I'm I'm the one making that decision to look from what do I want and need in order to express myself fully. Mm. So the most important part for me about acknowledgement is really the simplicity of telling the truth to ourselves about what's really going on. Yeah, because I think we don't often do it. I mean, you can, you can go for your whole life without really telling yourself the truth because you just create a narrative, an internal story that, that that carries on and carries on. And I think when you say leadership is an inside job, this is a prime example of, I mean, purpose is an inside job, values Mm. is an inside job, Mm -hmm. acknowledging both is an inside job. What what do you see leaders, the leaders that you deal with, struggle with the most in this challenge? How do I make the difference I want to make? And in fact, this was one of the reasons why I decided to do the podcast, because I've been on both sides of the fence, right? Mm. I've been an employee for 20 years, you know, and then I got into a leadership role for six years. So I knew what it was like when I looked back and started to look at my own challenges as a leader, right? And I was like, oh, God, yes. As an as an employee, I was one of those people who would complain about the leadership of the organisation. It was the leadership's fault for why something wasn't happening in the business, right? So whenever something doesn't work as an employee, all the blame goes to the leadership team, mm. right? Then on the flip side, when you're in a leadership position, all your de- your only desire, because you've been an employee, when you get to that point, all you want to do is help everybody else in the business, fundamentally. Now, mm. I'm not saying everyone's good at that, right? People have got their problems and they show up in a good way and they show up in a bad way. No doubt about that, right? But fundamentally, when we get into that role, it's not that we have a good, an intention to show up in each day and go, you know what? I want to actually rock up and treat someone like an asshole. I, I actually want to go and destroy someone's life. We don't do that, right? No. So the thing that I noticed was that as a leader, for me, when I was in leadership, oh, my goodness, when things do go well, however, so on the flip side, when they go great, guess who gets all the acknowledgement mm. or who wants the acknowledgement? Now, this is not a generalistic, you know, stereotype view of things, but as a leader when in a business, when things go well, you, you want to acknowledge the team and the team will be like, where's my, you know, reward yeah. and recognition and, and rightly so. Mm. But what's happening all the meanwhile is here you are as a leader, when things go bad, it's all your fault. And when things go great, it's got nothing to do with you. Yeah, that's really great. <laughs> I'm really thrilled about being in that job. <laughs> right. And I saw that and I just went, wow, that's really debilitating really debilitating. And every single leader I have spoken to, every single one, inevitably, every conversation is like, I just am struggling to try to make the difference I want to make. That's it. And what I realized was, hold on, it's not your job to make someone else happy. I I got your commitment and and I can see where you're looking from, but what's not, it's not going to shift anything if you see it, that it's your job to give other people the answer 
you know, we are very, and this is the thing about communication that I think is really important. We are really good at talking. Mm. really good. We give our opinions. We give our advice. We point out what we think is missing, but what's missing often is listening, you know, just Mm. actually listening to our staff or listening to what they want so that the employees do the discovery for themselves and that they can release and express their own potential. That, That is not happening. I mean, we're living in a time where no one has time for anything. No. I mean, you know, I don't know about you, but I, I certainly know in 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 my time in leadership, I never, I think I might have had one performance meeting with my <laughs> boss, but one. He's like, you're good, aren't you? I go, yeah. <laughs> right? I was always had to work it out for myself. There was mm. never any sit-down conversation. How are you going? What's working? What's not working? In my own experience as a leader, mm. right? It was always just meetings around metrics of the business, what we're doing, what we're not doing in the business like that. It was never about that kind of stuff, never personal development. And in my era as a leader, there was always, oh, it's the soft conversations are hard. Are you Mm. kidding me? (laughs) Like, you know. But I, I think now one of the things that I'm a big advocate of is as a leader, I think the best reference point is coaching as a coach, because mm-hmm. a coach's job is never to give anybody answers. You know, a coach's yeah. job is only to listen and and to listen for the greatness and give some <clears> guidance <throat> and feedback about what they hear. Mm. And I think as a leader, fundamentally, if we're going to empower others, it's not about giving instruction or managing on a task and all of that thing. It's actually about stepping back and allowing other people to really come forward with the discovery and the communication of what they're up against, but making them feel safe so they can come and tell you what they're dealing mm. with. I think it's letting go of the control, isn't it? Because, you know, if you, I call that creating a space. So if they create an environment where those, those conversations can happen and that dialogue can happen, I, I was very lucky I had those dialogues with my bosses, but it didn't on personal development and how I'm doing and how I'm not doing it. But it wasn't, it didn't stop me just wanting to be busy all the time because for me, that was the code of what was valued in the organization, delivering, 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 delivering. So being busy was being a good leader. And I think it was myself who got myself stuck in that wheel. <laughs> but of course, the system perpetuates that because that's how the system works. So I think even if you have those discussions, mm. it's still we're back to the inside job discussion, Kylie. If it's still up to the person, me in this case, to step back and have a look at is that really fulfilling what I want to do? Or and is it giving me enough time to create the space you've just spoken about for the rest of my team? And I think that was always difficult, and it was something I never spoke about, and it wasn't particularly mm. spoken about. Mm. Oh, and it's still not. It's still no. something that's not. In fact, it, when we're in a company, we're always trying to make sure we look, we know what we're doing. Mm. And then if there are times that even when we don't know, we have to make sure we look like we know because there's too much at risk. Yeah. Well, what what occurs is my job's at risk if I do not know and I pretend that, you know, and I don't have the answer because I am measured on that, right? Mm. And that comes back to my other point about acknowledgement. And this is the other side of the coin mm. is that there is a general, well, I'd say a lot of com- noise about the lack of acknowledgement as, as a gift of gratitude mm. in a business. Mm. Very little, and you, we'd probably call this version the version of appreciation. Yeah, People feel very underappreciated. And so when I look back, and in fact, yet again, this will be a very common pattern, not only from, you know, I, I had this for myself back in the day and that I would complain about the same thing, but in every person I've spoken with over the last 10 years who's in leadership or there, there is this, I'm not appreciated. 
I'm not appreciative for what I do. There's no acknowledgement. There's no thanks. There's no. There's none of that, right? Mm-hmm. So the fallout of that, of course, is a hidden level of resentment that yeah. sits underneath the surface. And when mm-hmm. when we what we know about resentment resentment is that even if it, for the most part it's blind yeah. to the human eye, you mm-hmm. know, it's it's not one of those. If we look at the iceberg in terms <clears> of the conditional yeah. thought. In that in in that level of thought, it doesn't exist there. It sits mm. underneath the surface, not present. But we're walking around pretending that we're not resentful when inevitably we're very resentful. The fact yeah. that we don't feel appreciated, yeah. and what happens when we do that is we pull back. We don't give as much effort. Mm. We pretend we're putting in effort when the reality is we're not really fulfilling our potential. And the biggest person who suffers is us. Yeah, we're just internalizing the suffering and the resentment and pretending that we're okay because we need to carry on delivering and doing. That's right. And mm. and whilst I say that's the biggest impact, it's the biggest impact from my point of view at the level of humanity, right? Because as a human being, that's very debilitating. Mm. And that's what, what I think inevitably is the most important thing here. But at the same time, if we look at results in organisations, you know, for years, the figures around seven organisations will only deliver 70% on strategy. Change change plans, at most plans fail. The statistics mm. on those have not changed for years. No. And, and there's no surprise, you know, I think. And, but organisations have almost become conditioned to that. It's like, well, this is just the way that it goes. Well, that's if that's if, you, if you're happy with the status quo. Yeah. And I, I just think I like that you refer to acknowledgement as a practice because it is about changing habits, isn't it? Because I don't, you know, often... We throw solutions at it like, oh, teach people how to give feedback, teach them how to communicate better, do a bit of positive appreciation, which is great. Mm-hmm. But it's an ongoing practice, isn't it, in, in terms of changing a habit and therefore changing the environment? Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And it is it is a job that needs to start with us. And I think this was the thing that I found noticed that was challenging even in my journey of practicing it, mm. is there's an underlying expectation that somebody else should give it to me. Mm. So acknowledgement should come from someone else. Like my boss should acknowledge me or someone else should say thank you for all. There's all these shouldisms that we carry expecting somebody else to do it. But where where we actually get power is realising that if we see that we're missing acknowledgement, it is up to us to get that. No one else is going to know that that's what's missing for us. Like it's Mm. not suddenly someone's going to have this visible insight into our internal state knowing that that's what's going on. So that where I got power for it with myself to start with was realizing that if and and it actually bizarrely enough it actually started for me at home you know I've got the three kids as I mm-hmm. said to you and, and I really noticed just how much I felt unappreciated because you know I was doing so much and it was just as assumed that it was part of the thing and that's no different to work no. you know it is your job and so why why should I step out and I mean that's just what's expected right mm. but then I was like oh what if I turned around and said thanks mum Thanks for doing that. I really appreciate it. And and I, it felt very weird to start with, but I didn't, what I realized at the end of that was that I did not need them to say anything, actually. Mm. Mm. I just needed it to be acknowledged. And I, yeah. I realized that I could I could make the request for that. I could ask for what I need. In, and, and the part that I also discovered is there's sometimes it's a specific person we want it from. Mm-hmm. You know, there's certain person, people around us with whom we really want it because if somebody comes and gives us all this acknowledgement, oh, yeah, but you're so great, you're so great, but then we still don't feel like it's any yeah. different yeah. because it's usually there's one person in particular or there's some people in particular that you specifically want it from and unless you get it from them, it's still there. <laughs> <laughs> so we're back you to know? the questioning of purpose and values, the same deep questioning of who do I need acknowledgement from, why and when. That's right. And do you use that as a a basis for working with 
the small businesses you help? And do you see a difference between men and women on that? So, yes, it's a practice with everybody. In mm-hmm. fact, I, I introduce it in, in many different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, like, for example, every single call I have with a client, I ask them to, I start with acknowledgement and I end with acknowledgement. So the, okay. the starting in the conversation with acknowledgement is what, what, what is there that's going on that you'd like to talk about? So they bring into existence everything that they're dealing with. Now, if they come to the call and they've just had a fight with their partner or they've had this happen or they're this flustered by something else, I want to know about that. Mm. You know, you don't, you don't need to pretend that nothing's going on in your life because what happens in our life and how we deal with that stuff is what actually gives us power. Yeah. So, so I start, I start every, every conversation always with that. And then I always end every conversation with what do you want to acknowledge? What do you want to be acknowledged for? Or what, what is it that you, was of most value out of the conversation that you would like to be that you would like to acknowledge? Because mm. then it gives them a space to put attention to something. So I introduce like simple things like that, and then I invite them to do practices of it. And it depends on where certain people are at. You've got people that really undervaluing themselves. In the neuroscience work that I do, there is a practice about actually it, we call it three good things at mm. the ever, end of every day. Write down three good things that you did. That's a source of acknowledgement for yourself. Mm. Mm. So you start to really get, actually, when I'm acknowledging myself, I actually don't have as much need for it out there in the world, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So it's definitely that. There was another question you, I think you asked do, me do about. Do you see a difference between men and women on, on this particular point? Yes. Do I? No, I do not. Interesting. No. Interesting it's because a, it's always portrayed. Both. Yeah, it's always portrayed that women need it more. And seeing as well, we're in the in the business of breaking stereotypes and looking at the status quo, I just wanted mm. to get your opinion on what you're seeing and how it fits back into what we hear around uh, women's need for acknowledgement and men's need for acknowledgement, Callie, particularly in the workplace. Yeah, I, I'm well, obviously not being a man, I don't know. But <laughs> in terms of coaching from a coaching perspective, mm. it's never shown up any different. It's missing on both parts. Okay. Because, oh, Often what happens when we show up to work, as you'd know, women are more likely to be expressive, so it's yeah. more visible. So mm-hmm. it's, it's something that we see a lot more. Mm-hmm. But the men that I'm working with, yep, yeah. they are also pissed. Mm-hmm. They're yeah. like the expectation that I'm just going to keep and they'll just keep working hard and they become very, you know, high achievers and they operate in this mode of success and driven and all the rest of it. But I promise you, some, some in fact, some extraordinary um, high-performing, successful leaders, and this distinction in itself has mm. made an extraordinary difference. And it was usually for men what happens is it shows up in the unseen. Yeah, yeah. And so I think that's another conversation we have to change. It's a little bit like the mental health conversation, you know, boys don't cry discussion, because that's I think right. humans are humans and everybody has those basic psychological, emotional and, and needs, you know. Absolutely. So you are spot on when you say it looks like women feel like they need it more. Absolutely, it looks that mm. way. And but when we both, when we come into a space where we've got that psychological safety and a desire to really communicate what's going on, inevitably both of those that that practice works very profoundly for both. Mm. And what I love about those type of practices is it comes to break your own bias. You know, the unconscious bias that we all have because everyone has bias. But I think, mm. you know, if you can actually start by looking at your own bias. So what triggers me? What am I thinking? What's, mm. you know, what type of bias am I showing up with? Then only then can you start looking at practices for yourself. To come back to one of your first points around it's an, an inside job. And once yes. you've done the inside job, you can start looking at helping the outside. So 
Exactly. And and I think if we put it back into, into a simple context around leadership, that yeah. great leaders are people that other people want to follow. Yeah. Right? Whether their view about themselves is that they're good or not, at mm. the end of the day, it actually doesn't matter. What mm. all that matters is you're showing up as somebody with whom other people want to be around and want, want to follow. And, and that doesn't mean also that they've got to follow like behind you, but no. they just want to be on the journey with you. They just want to work, they want to be around you, they want to do what you're doing, they want to be up to stuff with you. And so that inside job for me is is that's what the uncharted leader is all about. It's like mm. at the end of the day, are you showing up for yourself in the best way possible? Because mm. you know when you put your head on the pillow at night whether or not you've you've done a good job. You, we really do. Yeah. Yeah, and it's about being able to sleep at night, isn't it? Sleep at night That's in inverse right. commas, you know, being Absolutely. In, in tune with your values. Absolutely. Honey, time is running. I do have a, a last question for you, though, around mm. what would your final call to action be, therefore, to le- leaders who are looking to find out why they feel this disconnect between what's happening in the workplace and who they really are Mm. well the my favorite call to action on this one is the place where I often find all of us need to go back and start is self-compassion it is tough it is you know and 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 unfortunately we did not need a pandemic to tell us things are difficult actually things were already difficult before Mm. the pandemic and if anything actually I think all the good things that have come of the COVID and that kind of stuff is was needed, much needed, because we've become, we've certainly had to step back and look at new ways of working, which we're now doing, but compassion, because if I, you know, if I just look at the statistics and the way that things happen, mm. you know, mental health statistics are massive. Yeah. Trauma, we, we are in a generation where we're at the effect, like we're the, we're the children of the generation that were in the war. I'm a descendant of the stolen generation. So my my lineage is, you know, my my grandmother was stolen, was taken away from her family when she was mm. only three. Mm. The impact of that trauma is intergenerational. And so mm. what happens with this, with our generation, certainly my generation, is that we're, we're leading from a trauma response. And that trauma response can show up as being very critical on oneself, but we forget that we're being critical on oneself and what ends up happening is we actually play it harder in the world. We play harder on ourselves. We play harder on everybody else. We lift up these expectations and we keep running. We keep, and it's just exhausting. It's just a sort massive source of burnout. And so the, the call out for me is no matter what you're dealing with, no matter what you, no matter what you're doing, I mean, things might look really great for you right now. Anything can change in any given moment. And even if things are going great for me, it's not great for me if my the people around me are suffering. It's not mm. great for me if my community is suffering. I mean, as an Indigenous person, it's never great for me unless the entire community is thriving. And, and mm. I, that we are a long way off that happening. So if we're going to see any shift, we cannot be sitting here going, well, it's up to someone else to do something about mm. that. Actually, what, <laughs> what difference am I really going to make in what I do in my own closed door at home? You know what? Actually... You, mm. It's a it's a big impact actually because every thing that we do for ourselves impacts and ripples out in the world. So self compassion and and really just doing the work on yourself so that you know that you are authentically showing up in a way that allows you to authentically connect with other human beings. Because at mm. the end of the day, that is all that's important. Mm. We as human beings are wired for connection. Yeah. And if we're not if we're not coming back and looking at what's missing for me, even if the other people around us are, they could behave as bad as they want, right? 
And mm. we have the ability to interrupt that. We have the ability to do something about that. We mm. could put our arms around these people and go, I'm sorry, you're having a bad time. We, But we do not do that. So massive call out, self-compassion. And, and my guru on self-compassion mm. is Kristen Neff. Neff. She runs the Compassion yeah, if you don't, you know, do, just do you do the reading on it, do the videos on her. She's it's remarkable. Okay, super. Thank you. I'm going to leave our listeners with that. Two calls to action for me: one, self compassion, and two, more compassionate leadership, which is a completely different paradigm from the one we have today. Mm. Kylie, thank you so much for sharing your story and your insights and your experience with us. Where can people find out more about you and what you do? Susie, I think the easiest part is LinkedIn. Okay. You know, we all know that it's easy to go there and you can find there and people can message me and connect from there. Okay, excellent. So go and connect with Kylie on LinkedIn. Thanks, Susie. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And if so, please go to iTunes and give us your feedback and your review. And if not, I'll see you soon for the next episode of Let's Talk Transformation. Transformation.